whole year talking about the gospel, good news in four letters. And everybody in this room believes something is good. You believe something is right and best and true, and that's your good news, that's your gospel, and you need to make sure you know what it is because the gospel you believe, that's what your faith is in, determines the life that you live, that's how you function, and the emotions you feel, that's your feelings. Your faith will drive your function and your feelings in the life. So it's real important that you know what your gospel is, but I wanna tell you, there's really only one true gospel. The Bible teaches us that the gospel is the power of God to save us from the punishment and power of sin so that we have peace with God, peace within, and peace with others. This is what the gospel of Jesus Christ does. And this has been given to us. And so as we finish this year, we're, we're talking about the good news given. And it's so important that we realize that, that the gospel has been given so that those who repent and believe become faithful disciples that make disciples. We were living out 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, which is my life first. It's a, a very simple way to structure your life. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust a reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. One disciple shares who they are in Jesus Christ and, and help make them a disciple so that they can go and make a disciple. This is the way of the Christian life. And it's because the good news is given. And we're learning about this in the book of Colossians. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, why don't you go ahead and turn it now to the book of Colossians. And it's there that we, we understand the way God has chosen to reveal himself so that we can be faithful disciples that make disciples. We learned about a guy on the first Sunday, a guy named Epaphras, who was a faithful disciple. And from those very early verses, we got a simple definition of what a faithful disciple is. Faithful disciples are obedient to Scripture. They're saints set apart in Christ. They're active members of a local church and they're making disciples that make disciples. And today we're, we're gonna talk about God's image given to faithful disciples. And, and because he has, we, we can understand who he is and what we are called to be. God has made us all in his image. Every human being from the moment of conception to the last beat of their heart, have, all of us have dignity, and value because we've been made in the image of God. But here's the problem. We're all broken. We're all broken. Sin has entered into the world and we've all believed lies and, and, and we have lived ways that are contrary to the will of God. And that's called sin. But God did not abandon us there. Instead, he has come. God has entered into our reality. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, has come to set us free. And what we're going to realize today is that Jesus came to make God known to us, to redeem us and to remake us in his image so that, that God's image given in Christ Jesus enables us to understand God, to trust him so that we can come under Christ and become like him and, and be what God designed us to be. There's no one greater than Jesus, none greater. And I realize that not everyone believes that. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you don't believe that. You know, most people, most people, not all people, but, but most people will at least say, you know, Jesus, they'll sing the song. Jesus is just all right with me. And they'll, they'll, they'll say that. And, and, and I'm sure there's some sitting here right now. I mean, you know, Jesus is just all right. But what I really need is a date. What I really need is a husband or a wife. What I really need is a car. What I really need is a new job. What I really need is more money. What I really need is, is, is nicer stuff. What I really need are the things of this world. Jesus is just all right. But, but what I really need is, and you fill in the blank, 
can I tell you that there is no one greater than Jesus? And we need to recognize, and it's important that we recognize his great worth. Our recognition of the value of Jesus is the most important thing about us. A.W. Tozer said it this way, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Friends, we need to recognize how glorious and great Jesus is. There was a woman, uh, she owned a, a furniture store. She's very passionate about her furniture. There was a table that she loved and she knew it was worth $1,000, but no one was interested in it. So she brought the value down to $600. And a man came in and said, I'll offer you 300 bucks. And she said, I can't take 300 for this. I mean, I've, I've already reduced the price to 600. And he said, well, I can see it's important to you, but you know, I'm not real crazy about it. There's some things I don't necessarily like about it. I'll give you 400. And, and she began to describe why the table had great value. And he said, well, I can see it's important to you. I'll give you 500. And she said, I tell you what, how about you give me a thousand for it? He said, whoa, whoa, whoa. I thought we were talking about 600. She said, we were until I began to talk about the value of this table. And I realized I I can't reduce the value of this. This is what it's worth. It's worth a thousand. So many of us don't know the value of Jesus Christ. We, we don't see him for, for what he really has to bring. We, we listen to what the world says he's worth. We listen to what the world has to say about him. And many times we allow that to influence the way we're thinking about him. And we need to stop that. We need to recognize the value of Jesus. And when we do, friends, we will never be the same. Our, our text today helps us recognize the value of Jesus as God's image given. So here we are in Colossians chapter 1. Let's go to verse 15. Poppy's going to read through verse 23. Poppy, come on up. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Verse 15 is one of the uh, most powerful pictures of Jesus Christ in all the Bible. You need to know it. When you're in the valley, this is a mountaintop to look to. Uh, but Poppy, read, it for, uh, read all that for us. He is the image of the invisible God the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. And you who once was alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed You continue in the faith stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Well done. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Hey, if you would, welcome one another before you're seated and let let everyone know you're glad to be worshiping with them this morning.
So in our text, we have this powerful picture of Jesus Christ, but truth be told, and I know this, this may be bothersome to some, only faithful disciples are, are able to actually recognize the, the true value and worth of Jesus. And, and if you're not yet a faithful disciple, uh, don't be discouraged, you, you can be. But there's certain things that only come about by the Spirit of God and, and life in Christ. This is what 1 Corinthians 2.12 says. It says, now, now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And the only way we can understand the things given to us by God is by being born again in Christ. And it's only in this new life that, that we can understand who he is and, and the value that, that he brings to our existence. And so I want to encourage you today, if you've never come to that knowledge, that, that you be open today to the reality of, of who Christ has revealed himself to be and that you would trust him. Here's what we know. As Angie said, the world is not as it should be. The world is broken. And why is the world broken? Is it God's fault? No, God created all things. God's design was harmony. We committed treason. We committed sin. And that sin has created the brokenness that we live in now. Broken relationships with God, broken within ourselves, broken with others because of our hurt. But God didn't abandon us in that broken. And instead, the gospel, the good news, and what we'll see in our text today is God became flesh. And God's image has been revealed. And now rather than trusting in ourselves, we can trust in him. We can turn away from self-sufficiency and we can trust in the accomplished work of Christ so that we can pursue and recover God's design. And as a part of that pursuit is being able to recognize the greatness of Jesus Christ and be transformed by him. So if you've not yet believed, be open to believe. And if you do believe, recognize. Recognize what we have in Jesus Christ as faithful followers. There's three things that I would encourage you to write down and remember according to this text. And the first is this. Faithful disciples recognize the lordship of Jesus. The lordship of Jesus. Jesus is a mysterious reality. And it's very important that you understand that none of us will ever comprehend the, the fullness of who Jesus is, but we can apprehend it. We cannot comprehend all the vast reality of Jesus Christ, but, 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 but we, can, we, can, we can grasp it. There's an apprehension that is possible. And friends, and I don't say this facetiously, I mean this sincerely, we must be very careful that we not be heretics. It is so easy to be a heretic. You say, well, what's, what's a heretic? Here, here's the definition that might help you. Heretics are people who limit God so that he fits in their fixed categories and preferred concepts. So many people foolishly attempt to limit God to make him fit into the way they presume him to, to, to supposed to be according to them. And, and when we do that, we, we, we sin not only uh, against God, but we do damage to ourselves because we give ourselves the wrong position. Friends, there's not a one of us we're in a position to judge God. He is the judge. And he, in his grace, has revealed himself to us. And it is paramount that we recognize the, the greatness of him and engage him as he has revealed himself to be, not the way we want him to be. I have a friend who years ago sought out and, and, and married a woman from a different ethnicity. And his parents did not approve. And their parents rejected him as their son, rejected his wife, rejected their children. 
Now, let me tell you what they could not do. They could not cease to make that man their son. He was their son. They could not cease to make those children a part of their bloodline. They were. But what they were able to do is to remove themselves from the privilege and blessing of having a relationship with the people that did not live up to their expectations. There are so many people that do the same thing with God. God, I thought you were this way. I thought you were going to do this for me. I thought it was going to be like this. And when it doesn't, rather than recognize that maybe our, the problem is on our end, not, not his, we, we presume to judge God. And rather than accept him as he is, as the sovereign Lord of all, we, we seek to be judges and, and we reject him. And can I just tell you, that does not affect God in any way because God does not change. Your or anyone's rejection of God does not change God. He's still the maker. He's still the sustainer. He's still God. What's being missed is our, our relationship with him. The peace with God, the peace within, the peace with others. It's very important that, that we recognize the lordship of Jesus and, and, and the only way you can do that is to recognize how much higher he is than all of us because he is and is able to do so much more than what any of us can. Jesus said in Luke 18, 27, what is impossible with man is possible with God. What is possible with, with God is the impossible to us. Who he is and, and, and how he is is beyond our comprehension. And, and the sooner we come to that reality, the better off we're going to be. But to grasp what he has revealed and to delight in who he is as Lord of all. See, God is able to be one in essence and three in persons, which goes beyond our comprehension. We call this the Trinity, and here's a diagram that, that will help you. And it's important to understand, Jesus is God, the Son is God, the Father is God, the Spirit is God. But the Father is not the Spirit, the Spirit is not the Son, the Son is not the Father. That's the Trinity, got it, right? Let's move on. Of course you don't got it. This is a mystery. How is the invisible made manifest? Well, it's a mystery. Look at verse 15. Here's the mystery spelled out. He is the image, that is Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It is a miracle. It is a mystery. We can apprehend it. We cannot comprehend it. And he's the maker of all things. Verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is in and before and beyond and over his creation. Verse 17, for, and he is before all things and in him all things hold together. We will never in this lifetime understand the vastness of God. It will take all of eternity in heaven to begin to, to, to get any sense of comprehension of the greatness of God. But here's what wise people do. Here's what the living do. We refuse to trust ourselves and instead trust ourselves to the Lordship of Christ. We live out Proverbs 3. You know this one beginning in verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and what will he do? And he will make straight your paths. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is what faithful disciples do. We say, Lord, you are Lord and I am not. 
I, I cannot trust in me. I can't, my emotions are gonna go one way or the other. My feelings are always in flux. And because of that, the way I function is always out of kilter. And, and my faith is so limited. Oh God, without you, I have no hope. But because he is a gracious God and because he's Lord of all, once we surrender to him, we are saved. We know his life, we know his love, and we know his leadership because he is Lord. And as Lord, we gladly submit to his authority. And that's the second thing faithful disciples recognize. Faithful disciples recognize the authority of Jesus. When we repent and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're made members of the church. And as members of the church, we happily submit to the authority of, of Jesus. Who Look at verse 18. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the head. Friends, keep your eyes on Jesus. And in as much as I help you know him or as any other leader helps you know him, occasionally glance at us as we're pointing to Jesus. A, a, a person was in our church not too long ago and came up to me and kind of facetiously, but also not said, so I hear you're the man. I said, well, you've heard wrong. I work for the man. Jesus is the man. I'm his paper boy. I'm the delivery boy. I just deliver the news. He's the man. He is the, he is the manifestation of the invisible God. He is the Lord. And under him, we have authority. And, and it's very important that we distinguish between Jesus and his leaders. Listen, I'm a leader along with other elders. And you know what we have to do because we know we're human beings in a broken world and we're still being conformed to the image of Christ. We have to create policies and procedures to protect this congregation. I live under authority because I know I'm prone to wander. All of us are. So friends, please, please hear me on this. Do not let a broken, fallible leader keep you from the infallible, whole, holy God. Let me illustrate this for you. This helped me a lot as I struggle with, with my own leadership and leadership of others. Picture Jesus as a song. Songs are beautiful. Songs are glorious. But imagine this morning, these truthful, beautiful songs, if, if rather than Jason Barrett and our team of worship's leaders leading worship, imagine I led worship this morning. Can I just tell you, it would not go so well. Because I cannot sing. And, and, and nor can I play an instrument. Now, it's a joyful noise, but I think it's only to the Lord. You know, imagine if I grabbed a, that, his guitar, which intimidates me, the very idea of picking it up, right? Because I'm sure I would break it. But I just started strumming and singing. Would, would that make those songs any less true? Would it make those, those songs in and of themselves any more great? No. It would just, we just have to tolerate my bad singing. Jesus Christ is perfect. He is the perfect song. And I may not sing him perfectly with my words or with my life. No leader will. But, but don't think that that is in any way a, a diminishing of the song that is Jesus Christ. Keep your eye on Jesus. 
recognize that he is the authority. He is over the church. He is perfect. None of us are. And as we point to him, let's look to him. Let's trust in him. And, and let's celebrate the reason why we can. And here's why we can. First of all, because according to verse 18, he defeated death. It says, he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in him, everything, he might be preeminent. He, he is the one that defeated death. He died, but he, being God, could not be kept by death. He has been raised. He has now defeated death. And because he's my authority, I no longer have to fear death. And I don't have to fear it because he also defeated sin. Look what, he's, look what verse 19 says. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. We have peace with God because the wrath of God, the just wrath of God, has been fully satisfied in the death of Jesus Christ. Our sin, every one of us have sinned, and our sin is worthy of the eternal suffering of the wrath of God being poured out on us. But friends, I have good news. When Jesus was on the cross, he yelled out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he who knew no sin became sin. The wrath of God was poured out on him. And what was the result? That we might become the righteousness of God. The justice of God, the holy, righteous justice of God was poured out on Jesus Christ. And as his blood was shed, he paid the penalty for our sin. Justice, the just demands were fully met because the wages of sin is death and Jesus Christ has died. And because he's been raised alive, the full blessing of the benefit of the payment he has made can now be bestowed upon us who believe. Those of us who rather than trusting in ourselves choose to trust Christ, all of our sin is paid for. We are fully forgiven. And now we have eternal life because he's conquered death. And now as the authoritative reign he has over our lives, we are free. Free to love, free to forgive, free to hope. And that's the third thing we get. And that's what, that's what faithful disciples recognize. The hope of Jesus. And those of us who hope in Jesus, there's three parts to our story. I shared this last week. This text, verse by verse, shows it. See, all of us who have hope in Jesus, the first part of our story was a mess, is a mess. It's life before Christ. What's that like? Verse 21. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. That's what we all are born as. Every one of us, every human being in this broken world, we're born broken. And, and we don't have to be taught evil deeds. We don't have to teach our children to, to lie or, or, or to steal or to throw fits in Walmart, do we? I was at Walmart with Miss Carrie the other day and I saw it and I just smiled. Because I, I, I've shared this with you before. It just makes me smile. I saw a child do it. And, and, and this child didn't get what, what she wanted. And it, it, I just like had to pause. Carrie kept walking. I was like, oh, I got to watch this. 
she threw a, a top caliber fit. And here's what I know. Her mom didn't teach her that. I'm going to tell you what didn't happen before they walked into that store. That mom didn't get in the car and right before they walked in said, okay, now, sweetheart, listen, when we get to this aisle, I'm going to tell you, you can't have something. And I want you to humiliate me in front of people. I don't know. I want you to scream so much that it hurts the ears of other people. I want a preacher to stand in awe and wonder of, of all of your sin. That's not what she did. No, no, I'm sure she gave her another pep talk. How many of you parents have to give your kids pep talks? Listen, I got good pep talks. Listen, when, I was, when, I, when we had those little ones, here's how my pep talks went. We get in that car, we're about to go into the store. And here's what I, it sounded like a locker room thing, right? It's like, all right, we're going to run into some challenges today. <laughs> Things are not going to work out the way we want them to, all right? But look, we're going to stay focused. We're, gonna, we're here for a purpose, and we're going to win this day. Because when I say no, you're going to say, yes, sir. And when that flesh begins to creep up and you want to cry out, you're going to muzzle that mouth, and we're going to make it. We're going to make it. That's what my pep talks were like. If you ever need one, I'll put one on YouTube. We'll share them. Maybe we can sell, raise some money for Gift for Christ. I don't know. But why do we have to do that as parents? Because our children are born sinners. We are born. What does the text say? What does it say? Look at verse 21. And you who were once alienated and hostile mind doing evil deeds. But for those who trust in Christ, and that's the second part of our story of those who have hope. It says he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We're forgiven. We're forgiven and he becomes the Lord of our life and we're baptized. And if you've not yet been baptized, you need to be baptized. And I know, you say, well, baptism doesn't save me. Of course it does not save you. You're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But it, according to the word of God, baptism quickly, immediately follows belief. What did Peter say on Pentecost Sunday, the first day of the church? They said, what must we do to be saved? He said, repent, that saves you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to recognize that he is the Lord of your life, that you're under, happily under his authority, and that you want to live for him. And, and for those of us who do live for him, we have this hope. And, and our story began in sin. It was transformed by grace. And now what happens? We're growing in faithfulness. Look at verse 23. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Friends, this is, this is what we are. We're not perfect. We're growing in perfection. We're growing into Christ-likeness because he is our Lord. He is the authority, and he is our hope. We're not there yet. Not a one of us is there yet, but we're growing and we're learning to be steadfast. And that's our story. It's a story that began in sin. It's a, it's a story that was transformed by grace. And it's a story that is now a remodel as we're becoming conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, to the praise of his great name. Now, here's what I know about some of you today. Your, your story is still the story of sin. You're still trapped in treason. Before the eyes of God, you are evil. And you will be judged for it unless you choose to trust in Christ and what he paid for your sin. And then the wrath of God that has been poured out on him, you can receive the benefit of it by faith as you acknowledge he is Lord 
and give him complete authority and grow in steadfast faith in the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Now, some of you have this hope, but you're struggling. And it's because you are not recognizing the value of Jesus Christ. You think you need a, a car or a wife or a date or, or a title or a promotion or applause. Those are nothing compared to Jesus Christ. And the sooner you recognize that, the sooner you will be free and you can live. Our desire is wholeness and the only one who can give it to us is the one who bears the image, God's image given in Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand together as we pray. And then I'm going to bless you one more time with 2 Corinthians 9.8. Let's pray. Father, I pray for some today who have not yet come to salvation, that today would be the day that our life is eternally transformed by the hope that we have alone in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would save them, and I pray that they will not leave until they've talked to me or someone with a lanyard or a name tag that can help them understand your great grace and that they be saved. Lord, I pray for those, those who are saved, that we would recognize that we still have a ways to go, that you're not finished yet. And that we would humble ourselves under your lordship and authority with hope and look and trust that your plan is right and that all we need to do is honor you. And I pray that you will help us to. And if we're not right now, I pray that we will not leave until we know that we know that we have peace with you, peace within and peace with others because of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that, that we can abound in these good works because you make it possible in the gospel. So bless us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One more time, the blessing from 2 Corinthians 9, 8. Remember, God is able to make all grace abound to you. So having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Go and abound in every good work.